It's summer. My neighborhood is very quiet tonight. We're sitting right now on my back porch. It's warm outside. That thick July night air where it isn't so hot that you feel uncomfortable, but the humidity hangs on you like a blanket. I like to sit out here some nights and watch baseball games. It feels like what you're supposed to do in a Florida suburb in the middle of summer. So that's what I do. I live near a pond, so the frogs and bugs are especially noisy at night. I can see the mosquitoes on my TV screen, and I need to raise the volume to overcome the chorus of amphibians just outside, but I don't want to make it too loud. I love the night outside the glow of my porch, the animals that are savoring the dark, yet fleeting summer nights. Sunset comes later and later, and morning comes earlier and earlier. The nights are brief compared to the day, so you have to enjoy them while you can. So. When I go in, after the final pitch is thrown of the game I'm watching, into my air-conditioned room to forget the humid night, I try to take one last look at the sky. I live far away from downtown Orlando and close enough to the rural parts of central Florida that the glow of the city rarely bleeds into the night sky. That's unusual for me, honestly. I have lived most of my life in the heart of large suburbs, with streetlights glowing into the sky in abundance, blotting out the dark stars above. But now I'm further out, and when I look out, I can see more stars than I've ever seen outside of my home in my life. There are some easy constellations and stars to pick out. Big Dipper, Little Dipper, Orion's Belt, the pedestrian stuff. Occasionally I'll do that thing that everybody does where you spot a slightly orange star and with some false confidence you turn to the person next to you and you say, that is Mars. I am never certain that that is actually Mars. If you've been with me and I've pointed at a star and said, that's Mars, I don't know that for sure, but it feels right, doesn't it? And of course Venus is the brightest planet, so it must be the brightest light in the sky, so I say with confidence, there's Venus. I have no idea. Again, who knows if I'm right, but I do it every time. Weaving lower than the stars are the planes headed towards the Orlando International Airport, green and red winking in the sky. If you stare long enough, a light will streak across the sky amongst the stars. Not a shooting star or a UFO, but a satellite. I've watched the International Space Station flicker overhead, gliding across the sky with astronauts aboard doing the impossible so many times in my life, but especially in these darker times out in Sanford. But nearly every time I stare at the stars, I remember what's truly out there if only the sky was that much darker. The Milky Way is up there somewhere, hidden beyond the still present lights of human impact. I know this because I've seen it. Six years ago, at the end of the summer of 2016, my family was driving home from Chicago, and while taking some back roads through Georgia late at night, we stopped for a moment on a pitch-black country road. We emerged from our vehicle and looked skyward. Far above, like falling into an ocean of light, was the Milky Way. It's been a few years, but even my best description of that giant, colorful chasm in the sky, a collection of color and light so vast and unbelievable that it feels like science fiction just trying to imagine it, nothing I could do to describe it comes even close to seeing it. You can see pictures of the Milky Way, but there's nothing like witnessing it with your own eyes. You will feel like a speck for the rest of your life once you've seen how vast it is above us. So, from my street, staring up at the sky as I put out the recycling, I squint, hoping to see even a glimpse of the Milky Way, knowing I'll need to really get out there in order to see what waits in the cosmos. Only visible if the sky is dark enough, if we're far enough away from each other, if our own lights don't hide the sky's lights. As I learned just a few weeks ago, there's a park 
that touts its ability to bring you into that total darkness, a park where the infinite sky above is visible, alongside one of the most fascinating and distinct ecosystems in the state of Florida. I went camping there late this spring, and I'd like to take you with me today. I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. This is the summer season, and tonight we're going to spend our evening out camping in the Kissimmee Prairie Preserve. And now, I will throw to me back in that prairie just a few weeks ago. I'll let me introduce the story. Hey folks, I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. It is quiet, there are crickets, there's lightning in the sky, and we are standing in the middle of the Kissimmee Prairie Preserve State Park. It's a full moon, there are fireflies over the prairie, and the stars are twinkling just beyond the clouds. This place, two hours south of Orlando, in the middle of the state, just a few miles north of Lake Okeechobee, let's go for a walk in the Kissimmee Prairie Preserve tonight. I went camping with my friends, Alex, Matthew, and Libby. You'll hear more from them in a moment. I'm lucky that I have friends who have much more experience camping than I do. As I told them many times leading up to this trip, I haven't gone camping in a very long time. Last time I went camping was at the age of 14 with my biology 101 class. <laughs> my teacher, who I wish I could remember her name, she was such a good teacher, took all her biology 101 classes out on a camping trip at the Central Florida Zoo, a lovely and cozy zoo that is now only around the corner from me in Sanford. I could pay it a visit. I hope to do so soon. We learned about the Florida ecology on this trip, hiking through the woods around the zoo once the sun set. I can tell you with absolute certainty that that camping trip had a huge impact on me as a teenager and has probably had a huge influence in bringing me to making this podcast. I'll probably talk about that more one day when I actually return to that zoo, but nevertheless, I camped that night and I'll be honest, I was terrified, especially when I spotted an owl flying overhead late that night. I was never fond of camping. I actually declined to become a Boy Scout as a child because my mom informed me that camping was part of it. And I responded, you mean camping? Like in the woods at night? <laughs> that was a no-go for me as a kid. But nevertheless, when my friends suggested a camping trip a few months ago, I said yes. Especially when they suggested we camp in one of the darkest state parks in the state of Florida, the Kissimmee Prairie Preserve State Park. We settled into our campsite in the evening as the sun creeped lower on the horizon and we built a little fire. I want to take you to the fireside that night. We certainly roasted some marshmallows and hot dogs to the best of our ability. And I was sitting here in the moment with my microphone trying to get the sound of crackling fire. The first voice you'll hear that isn't mine is my friend Alex. She's a listener to this show. She often gives me hilarious critiques of the strange things that I do on the show. Makes me very aware of how odd I am on microphone. But she suggests that I put the microphone a little closer to the fire so we could get a better sound. And then this happens. What? That is Matthew, Alex's partner. Matthew just called out to us, do you want to see some fireflies? I'm recording, just so you know. Of course, we wanted to see fireflies, so we stood up from our campfire and hustled over to where they were, staring out over the prairie as flickers of green light burst oh up God. over the terrain. 
faster. Like, look at them, like, flickering instead of, like, phasing in and out. So it's like 8.30, and the moon is bright, full moon just behind the clouds, and there are stars just a little bit. It was supposed to rain, but there are fireflies out over the preserve by the campground, like actual fireflies. I have never seen them in Florida. You've never seen them? Mm -mm, not in Florida. I saw them in Virginia, yeah. my family's from. That is my friend Libby. These ones are different. Yeah. I just read a whole list of Florida fireflies that I've been wanting to research. Now I got a whoa! They're so strange. They just they're like, like oh, green. They're right there. Yeah, someone right by us. They're like green. Do you they're see? They're very th like white light, as opposed to kind of the yellowish tint they usually have. Now my friends are not from Florida, and their memories of fireflies consist of more steady glowing from fireflies. They illuminate, and then they'll stay illuminated for longer periods of time, creating a little aura of light—the the kind that can be captured in a jar, as so many have. My friends, that's the kind of fireflies they're used to seeing. Me, I'm not really used to seeing fireflies at all. The fireflies here that night were illuminating in bursts, never for more than a second, just flickers of green light, but in such multitude that it felt like. Everywhere you looked, there was a green sparkle out in the darkness. Now, I don't know precisely what kind of firefly this was, I have a guess, but you're about to learn this as I did. There are so many types of fireflies in Florida. According to a blog post from the University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences, or IFAS, a group I've been studying as long as this show has existed, there are 56 types of fireflies in the state of Florida. 56! That is a lot. Quote, some can fly, others burrow into the ground, some can flash their light, and others are a constant glow. End quote. Okay, so let's narrow it down. Hours were flying and flashing. They would only burst for about a second, literally like a second, and then they would stop for a few moments, and then they'd flash again. Now I've been searching to find the right criteria using the details that I have to find what this firefly is, and it's hard. I can't even find a list specifically of what those 56 fireflies in Florida were. But I found a website, appropriately named firefly.org. I wonder what they do at firefly.org. I was able to track down a little more information. Fireflies are actually part of the order of beetle, meaning they share genetics with other beetles, but their family of insects is actually appropriately named Lampyridae. You get it, lamp. And then from there, there are subfamilies that separate them further into more specific categories. One theory as to what we might have been seeing is the Photinus Paralis, or the common eastern firefly. They're called common for a reason. They are some of the most ubiquitous in the United States. Another firefly is the Photinus carolinus, which is the firefly that does those beautiful synchronized light shows further north up in Appalachia. If you haven't seen videos of the Appalachian firefly shows, look them up. It's kind of alien and how beautiful and stunning it is, but it's very natural, very common in our Appalachian forests. But I believe, or at least I'm choosing to believe, that we actually saw a firefly called the Photurus, or the Femme Fatale Firefly. This is from Firefly.org, quote, Female Photurus often mimic mating flashes from female Photinus fireflies to attract and eat Photinus males, end quote. So basically, they trick the male fireflies of another type of firefly, and then they eat them. 
Love it. But both the common eastern firefly and the femme fatale firefly emit a yellow-green flash. Until I find otherwise, I'm going with either of those, maybe leaning to the femme fatale, because why wouldn't I? We arrived right in the heart of firefly season. According to IFAS, quote, the Florida firefly season starts in early spring through late summer, end quote. That's exactly when we came. But if you have not gone looking for fireflies, it's not late summer yet. You still have time. You can go find them. Plenty of state parks have them. Adult fireflies only live for a few weeks, three or four weeks to be specific. They can be rare out in the suburbs. I've never actually seen any in any of the homes I've lived in in Seminole County, but out in state parks, they can be huge draws for visitors. Several parks in Florida host firefly tours in the warmer months to allow people to march out into the warm summer night and enjoy our glowing critters. Go do that. Go look for some fireflies. If you haven't seen them, especially if you haven't seen them in Florida, it is remarkable and, and otherworldly and magnificent. And we were just so amazed to see them. We stood there for a very long time watching the fireflies and we would do so again later on. Stay tuned. This, of course, was not part of the plan for us. We, as I've mentioned, were not here for the lights on the ground. We were here for the lights in the sky. You see, Kissimmee Prairie is what's called a dark sky park. That's actually an official designation that is given to a park that is proven by a specific organization to meet their dark sky criteria. That organization is the International Dark Sky Association, or the IDA. The word dark sky has a hyphen in it, so it's dark hyphen sky. They certify parks as International Dark Sky Parks, or IDSPs, and one such park is the Kissimmee Prairie Preserve. According to their website, a dark sky park, quote, is a land possessing an exceptional or distinguished quality of starry nights and a nocturnal environment that is specifically protected for its scientific, natural, educational, cultural heritage, and or public enjoyment. End quote. So there are some other parks in other countries across the planet, including Japan, Australia, Israel, Croatia, Germany, but the United States has by far the most. Many national parks meet the qualifications, including the Grand Canyon. Florida actually has a few, obviously Kissimmee Prairie, but the Big Cypress National Preserve in South Florida is also a dark sky park. The reason so many parks have this certification and, and why it matters to them is something that I find very interesting. We're definitely going to talk about it again and go visit some more of them across the state. But what you need to know is that light, specifically an excessive amount of artificial light, specifically at night, can have a huge impact on many things in our world. Nature, for example, responds poorly to what's called light pollution. You know when you look in the sky and you can't see many stars like I talked about in the beginning of this episode? That, that's light pollution. So the IDA is all about reducing that light pollution, not just in these parks, but across the world. That is light pollution, and they choose the word pollution on purpose. According to the IDA, quote, scientific evidence suggests that artificial light at night has negative and deadly effects on many creatures, including amphibians, birds, mammals, insects, and plants. End quote. One example of this in Florida that I've talked about before is along our coasts where sea turtles nest. Conservationists along the coast have put in great efforts to reduce and even fully block artificial light along the coasts from homes and businesses and streets because 
sea turtles hatch on those beaches and they can be lured towards those lights at night. Very often, sea turtles will hatch. The, the hatchlings will emerge from their eggs at night and that artificial light can lure them away from the ocean and towards the false artificial light, something that can lead to their death by predators. We don't want that. We want the sea turtles to reach the ocean. So when you go to the beach, you'll see lots of these warnings telling people, lower your lights, turn them off. This, among other facets, support the IDA's cause of reducing artificial lights at night in general, but they grant this special certification to parks that go above and beyond in creating a dark spot in the wilderness, which is why we packed up in Libby's car and drove straight south on the turnpike toward the Kissimmee Prairie. We got off the highway at Yeehaw Junction, a place I visited many times with this show and I still get a kick out of it every time. I've passed through Yeehaw to visit the Indian River Citrus in 2018, to visit sea turtles in 2019, gopher tortoises in 2020, and lighthouses in 2021, and now Kissimmee Prairie. I have to stop by and check out the now-destroyed Desert Inn. It was destroyed by a jackknifed trailer truck. It's very upsetting. Maybe one day I'll tell that story. Either way, we stop and get some snacks, and I have to explain why it's called Yeehaw Junction, <laughs> which is not an easy explanation. It is a weird name, but now we take the last leg of our drive into the prairie. It's very far from any major town, which is the whole point. We packed a lot. And as we go, we watch the weather. All day we'd been tracking our weather apps, and they all said the same thing. Expect a ton of rain. So we did. If it rained too much, we would say, we'll drive east and find a hotel on the coast and hang out along the Atlantic. We'll abandon camping if we have to. We'll see what the rain brings. Maybe it's just going to rain a little. Maybe we hide in the car for a bit until it passes. But I was convinced. I kept saying it. The rain is going to pass. The power of magical thinking, or whatever it's called. I was forcing myself to believe we'd be okay. When we arrive, we park at our campsite and pop up our tents. I did practice building my tent in my backyard the night before, but that was not enough. I still needed help. So the tents go up and we go for a hike. This is a prairie after all, and there was a ton to see. So we got to walking. We visited prairies on this show before, notably the Paynes Prairie south of Gainesville. This one, the Kissimmee Prairie, is named for its relationship to the Kissimmee River, of course. The Everglades, as you may know, are not just contained within the national park's borders. In fact, the Everglades, the broader ecosystem, begins all the way in Orlando, just south of downtown in a body of water called Shingle Creek. This is called the Headwaters of the Everglades. If you drive on the highways around Orlando, you'll see a sign that says, Shingle Creek, Headwaters of the Everglades. And it's true, because that river flows south into Lake Toho Pacaliga, or Lake Toho. Lake Toho is south of Orlando. And then Lake Toho feeds the Kissimmee River, which feeds Lake Okeechobee, which feeds the Everglades. This prairie we walked through is right along the Kissimmee River. The river actually cuts through the middle of the park. But this prairie is flat, as far as the eye can see. Blue sky and a dome above us. It's, it's just massive sky over us. And so we took a walk on this sandy trail, spotting birds flying around, singing their music to us from the brush. One in particular was making some noise, and Matthew and I crept a few feet off the trail in search of that bird. Matthew did a pretty good approximation of the bird's whistle, and maybe, just maybe, the bird was communicating back? We're not certain, but it... Matthew was doing a pretty good whistle, and then the bird would do it back, so I think that the bird was uh, having a chat 
I'm not sure what type of bird it was. We could only get a, a, a little bit of a glance on it, so I couldn't quite tell what bird it was, but he flew away before we could get a better chance. But there were birds everywhere. The ecosystem itself is just amazing, as Florida prairies always are. They're defined by their closeness to water and also their visible dryness and also their diversity of species. They're so unique. People don't think of Florida as having prairies. They just think of the swamps and the rivers and the beaches. But these prairies make up so much of our ecosystem and are so vital to the balance of all of the textures and water movement in our state. As the state parks website itself says, this is, quote, an ecosystem shaped by cycles of flooding and fire, end quote. That is two things that are opposed to each other, theoretically, but they have such an impact on how this prairie thrives. It's amazing the way that they balance all of these elements. The birds in particular seem to love it here and have so for generations. Which brings me to a statue that we saw and took a couple pictures with. It's at the visitor center. It speaks about one bird in particular, the Carolina parakeet. We've talked about the Carolina parakeet before, late last year in the conservation season. They were a beautiful type of parrot in this region, the only parrot native to Florida. Hunters and ornithologists eventually hunted it out of existence. They are extinct now. I actually spotted a stuffed Carolina parakeet in a display at the Palm Beach County History Museum when I was doing research for the Barefoot Mailman. That was the only time I've ever seen one in person. But here at the Visitor Center, in the preserve, there's a statue of the Carolina parakeet. A plaque on the bottom reads, quote, In memory of the Carolina parakeet, driven to extinction, 1918, end quote. That date, 1918, actually signifies when the last specimen died, but it was not in the wild. It was in the Cincinnati Zoo. The last Carolina parakeets that were killed in the wild, well, they were killed right here in Okeechobee County in 1904, the same county where this prairie resides. Over a century ago, those green and yellow birds might have flown through this very ecosystem, hiding in the bushes the way the songbirds were today. This statue serves as a memorial to me. A gravestone. I hope to return there again, pay even more respect, hopefully having learned more about the Carolina parakeet. And you know what? I was wrong about the weather. It did rain. For like five minutes. You know the name of the show. That proved true. <laughs> it rained for just a few minutes and then whoop, gone. Over. We ate rehydrated food afterwards that we bought at REI, and we convinced ourselves that it tasted good. I've spoken to Alex since, and I do believe that we kind of just lied to ourselves. We were like, yeah, this is good. And it wasn't. Actually, I asked her if I could read a quote from her about this rehydrated food. Here is the quote that she said about the rehydrated food. I said, I expressed such enjoyment at the time, but I don't think I meant it. <laughs> And she responded, I didn't either. We all just sat around and lied for fun. It's true. We ate some really icky rehydrated food. And we all were like, this is pretty good. Yeah, this is pretty good. It wasn't. It really wasn't. I might just bring a, a sub sandwich next time. <laughs> anyway, we enjoyed for the moment our food and we hesitantly watched the sky. If the dark was coming, then maybe the stars would too. We built that fire I mentioned, and we watched the fireflies. So bizarre. Just flickers. So quickly. Wow. Look at how many there are just like sparkling. Wow. When he mentioned it, I didn't believe it for a second. Me neither. They look so bizarre. Wow. Oh, 
into the distance. You can't even see like the light pollution and the horizon. Yeah. Wow, that one guy lit up a bunch. It's still going, yeah. Come back. They're like green. There's one up here, right in front of us. <laughs> hey! Oh, that, did you see that? That was lightning. Where? That way. Oh, definitely like that front. Man, can you imagine watching like a thunderstorm out here though? No, I, I mean, it's the way that it looks in freaking cowboy movies. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like rolling in. That's what I was thinking is like, this is going to come in and if it does rain, the, the fact that it's just going to like swipe across this entire prairie is like crazy to me. So it's just a bioluminescence, you said? Yeah. That they do that? Mm -hmm. It's usually a mating thing. This is the time of year when they do it. I should have thought we were going to see some fireflies. I didn't I've know that never they were seen them Florida. before. Mm. Yeah. That's I've seen so. Them. I even see some like way out there. Yeah. They're looking yeah, like right? Because you're just seeing the flashing lights. They're I thought they were. I know. I thought they were like, like cell towers in the distance. It's like kind of surreal. <laughs> Yeah, this bug can just light up. Is that not insane? It's just the size that it wants to yeah. flicker. What a way to impress a mate, though. It's true. <laughs> After the fireflies came and we eventually moved back to our site, we took ourselves over to the visitor center, where there are actually specific areas for people to camp just to look at the stars. That That's what these specific areas are for. Parked near there was a high-rise tour vehicle, kind of like a big truck. The kind that has a bunch of seats up top so they could drive you around the ecosystems and you can see them from above. Maybe we shouldn't have done this and maybe I shouldn't admit to it, but we did it anyway. We climbed up top and got cozy on the benches. We were totally safe. We didn't turn anything on. We didn't break anything. We just sat and looked up. You see, we were ready to look at the stars, but there was a whole other kind of light pollution. Not an artificial one. There was none of that around here. Rather, there was a full moon. I swear, it was the brightest moon I've ever seen. We were walking without flashlights on. Flashlights, by the way, have to be turned red. That You can have to click the button so that it's not the white light, it's actually the red light, and a lot of headlights come with that feature, and that is so that you don't break up the dark sky quality. The red light is much calmer and doesn't break up the darkness as much. But the moon was casting so much light, I could see edges to my shadows. The moon was so bright that I was casting a shadow and the shadow was sharp. Like it was like, <laughs> like the sun was up. It was crazy. I've never seen the moon so bright. It was fading the stars into the background. Yeah, we could still see them and it was absolutely beautiful, but the moon was really stealing the show. So no truly dark sky that night, no Milky Way. The moon had other plans. Eventually, we all went to bed. I set an alarm to wake up before dawn and, and maybe catch another glimpse of the sky. I told Libby that we'd wake up and, and see if the dark was still available for us, but when we both woke up to look at the sky, Libby and I agreed. Too many clouds, and weirdly, too cold. The conditions just weren't right, and that was okay. Going to sleep, however, that night, truly trying to settle in and get some rest, I knew was going to be the hardest part. As I mentioned, my biggest hang-up with camping was sleeping in the woods at night, and that's exactly what I was doing. Being out there in the wilderness at night, I was so anxious, despite my friends nearby and plenty of other folks, the campground was very busy. 
I actually heard some sounds outside. Something hopping, maybe a bird, something scuttling around that might have been a raccoon, and something with heavier footsteps. Maybe a person walking through our campsite? I don't know, but I played a baseball game and it helped me fall asleep. But then at 4 a.m., in the darkness, in the quiet of our campsite, I heard an owl directly above me. I was fast asleep, and I already told you I've got owl trauma. The owl scared me the last time I went camping, and lo and behold, I'm fast asleep, and what happens but an owl hoots literally in the tree above my bed, scares the living daylights out of me, I snap awake, eyes wide open, and then the owl hoots a couple more times and flies away. He has no idea that he has ruined my sleep. He's, he's just living his life. Meanwhile, I'm literally staring at the, the, the ceiling of my tent, waiting to hear anything, waiting for the owl to pass. Eventually, somehow, I fell back asleep, but oh my god, that owl really freaked me out. But, as you can tell, I survived the night. But, our cooler did not. When we woke, a cooler that had been filled with a few things, but mostly a few packages of hot dogs and a bottle of vodka, was gone. You heard that right. For a little while, we were convinced that a raccoon may have taken it, but this was not a huge cooler, sort of a hand-sized cooler. And did I mention that it had vodka in it? What use does a raccoon have for vodka? I suspect to this day that those heavier footsteps that I heard as I was drifting to sleep was actually a thief who stole our hot dogs and vodka. The cooler was never recovered. I hope that that raccoon, but more likely human being, enjoyed their late night snack that they stole from four innocent campers just trying to have a nice night. Before departing the next day, we rented bikes from the visitor center and took a ride east through the park. A volunteer had told us that a few miles down the road there was a creek filled with alligators, and my friends wanted to see some of our reptilian natives up close. I was very excited myself. We turned off the main road, and after just a few minutes or so of biking down a trail, I spotted the creek that had alligators in it, and oh my god, there were so many alligators. My estimate is that the first creek we found had about two dozen gators in it, and another creek a few steps away had another dozen. I mean, there were tons of gators. They didn't seem to mind us. They were enjoying the sun and water, just staring into space. They were large and small, green and brown, just absolutely beautiful. We whispered to ourselves, like they're going to be mad at us if we speak too loudly, and we took about a million pictures. I actually biked to that second creek a little bit further away from the first one, and I spotted a big gator by himself. He looked up at me. I looked down at him. And in an instant, he opened his mouth very wide and lunged about a foot toward me, right at me. Now, I was very far. I wasn't in any danger. But that lunge was direct and intentional. Party was over. We all hopped on our bikes. We had to get going. Gators were sick of us. <laughs> we had outstayed our welcome. So we got moving. I just want to take this moment really quickly and do an obvious PSA. If you are not a big outdoorsy person, if you're a kid who's looking to spend more time camping or going on hikes, I have to say this. We have a lot of wonderful animals in our state, and when we first encounter them in the wild, it can be exciting and a little scary. I have a lot of family members and friends that don't live in Florida. They ask about the gators, and I'm always like, I'm not concerned about gators, but we have had some stories recently, unfortunately, of gators attacking people. It's rare. You have to know how to deal with them. You have to know how to keep your space. Gators 
are predators. They are frightened of us and they might consider us to be a threat. We have to be safe and cautious around them. Now, I've grown up around gators. When I was 16 years old, I started kayaking along the Wakaiva River with my high school friends. There would be gators just there, chilling, hanging out. They had no interest in us. I know when a gator is chill and I know when a gator is not so chill because I have done research. I've read up on it so that when I'm in the wild, I can be safe. So I could tell that this gator was not chill. So we left and the gator remained and everything was okay. He was safe. I was safe. We moved on. Now there's also bears. There can be aggressive coyotes or all sorts of animals in Florida. Do your research on how to deal with them. If you encounter them in the wild for your safety and for theirs, because we want to be able to go in the wild and live safely visiting our friends in their ecosystem. So that's all. Just a quick PSA from your friendly podcast host, Nick D'Alessandro. Thank you very much. Moving on. The worst part of this trip was a problem that we created for ourselves. I found a loop on the map. Actually, you know what? I just said that it was a problem I created. So I, I looked at this map. I'm usually pretty good at maps. I saw something that looked like a loop so that we could ride our bikes back to the visitor center, hop in the car, boogie back to Orlando. But the problem was that the path we were taking, the loop, was all soft sand and our bikes slipped through the sand with no traction. So while we biked the first half along some packed in dirt, we actually had to either pedal our butts off through some really slick, soft sand or, or literally walk the bike in the heat. It was exhausting when we all got back we just sat for a while before we got in the car we felt pretty bad but we made it back and enjoyed the prairie a little deeper in our own troubling way we arrived back to orlando by the afternoon and since then we've already discussed our next camping trip we're probably going to go somewhere near saint augustine hopefully very soon i'm looking forward to it very much and i haven't been able to stop thinking about the stars the dark sky that the moon cut through that night it was supposed to be pitch black and it wasn't. I yearned for that Milky Way that I saw on that dark country road six years ago, the impossible vastness of space that I have always been stunned by. I wanted to see it again. I didn't get it in the prairie that night, but in the weeks that have passed, I've made peace with that. When you go to a park, when you go into nature, you get the ecosystem as it is. You can't control what it would be. You can't control what you're handed. You get what you get. And that night we were handed a full moon, a brief rain shower, a nocturnal thief, and most importantly, a sea of fireflies. When we went out looking for stars right before we went to bed, staring out looking for stars all across the prairie, all we could see were the sparkling green lights of our native fireflies flickering in their short lifespans for just a few seconds a wave of illumination in the dark prairie night the stars above were quiet drowned by a moon putting on a display of its own but at the edge of summer on perhaps the last cool night of the spring the fireflies burned like stars themselves for just a few moments for the lucky few of us who spent that night in the Kissimmee prairie preserve Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. It's a special one, and one that I've been wanting to do for a very long time. I love getting to take you on these trips, and I'm hoping to do even more of that as the weeks go by. So let's go camping more. Let's go on more hikes. Thank you 
for listening. Thank you for enjoying it. This episode exists because I made an episode at the Payne's Prairie Preserve last year and people loved it. People really sent me messages talking about how much they enjoyed it. It was just an experimental episode and then what happened turned out to be a a really exciting episode that people have really enjoyed and that means so much to me. So when a chance came for Alex and Matthew and Libby and me to go on a proper camping trip together and they all agreed to be characters in this story, I was very, very excited and grateful to tell you about what we could see. So huge thank you to them, Alex, Matthew, Libby. You will hear from them again. We have lots more adventures in store for the four of us. So uh, I'm looking forward to telling you about our next camping trip as well. If you are looking for a wonderful summer adventure, I cannot recommend the Kissimmee Prairie Preserve State Park enough. It is beautiful. I'm going to include some links to the Kissimmee Prairie, some links about the dark sky parks, and a little bit more about the wonderful topics that this episode touched on, because it's really interesting and we're definitely going to cover it some more. I actually have done, as I mentioned, some episodes connected to this story, so there are some links to those episodes as well in the episode description. Go check those out. If you enjoyed this episode or those episodes, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also reach out to me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod or via email at WFMPod at gmail.com. I truly look forward to hearing from you. I love hearing what you love about this show and love seeing that you're sharing it with your friends. So it really means a lot to me. If you're looking for more Wait 5 Minutes, there is going to be an episode this Friday, a bonus episode. I've been trying to do as many of those as I possibly can. I did one about tasting mangrove honey. I hope that you enjoyed it. It It's very silly. Mangrove honey, pretty good. Anyway, the episode coming out Friday is about the week that I'm spending in Sanibel. I will be making an episode while I'm there. I'm already there as you're hearing this episode, so uh, you'll be hearing from that on the social medias. If you don't follow the show on Instagram, WFMPod, you should. I post pictures, I make videos, it's especially active when I go on trips, and I'm on a trip all week, right now. Go check out what I'm up to and get to know Sanibel Island, up close and personal. Alright, that is it for me. I will be back next Monday with another wonderful episode for this summer season. I cannot wait for you to hear it. And then the week after that is the four-year anniversary. Always a special episode. You're going to love it. Until then, I am Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself. Be good to others. And please drink more water. It's getting hot. Drink more water. You're going to need it. See you on Friday for that bonus episode and then next Monday for another new episode. Have a good week.